Did you grow up in the U.S. or all? Um, I was born in the U.S. Um, I actually uh, grew up in Bahia in Brazil, and um, but I would spend the summers here. So um, I was kind of back and forth between my mom and, and my dad. Um, and um, yeah, there is where so I, I started began my journey with uh, martial arts. Um, at age six, uh, I started training in uh, Chinese martial arts, and so um, um, mostly like Wing Chun based. Um, uh, martial arts, but I, I always sort of um, looked at every style because I felt like every system sort of had something to offer. So, um, um, so yeah, I was definitely influenced a lot by um, Hong Kong cinema and, you know, growing up watching uh, films from uh, Hong Kong, Korea, and all these different uh, countries. And so uh, that's kind of like where my love for film came from, like uh, just a lot of those old classic uh, um, action films from back in the day, like Jet Li, Jackie Chan, you know, um, Donnie Yen, you know, people like that. Um, so yeah, it, um, I guess my career in film sort of grew out of that, like grew out of uh, out of the martial arts, you know. Where did your love for martial arts start? Like, what was the reason you got into it? Um, my dad, my dad was a martial artist. Um, and so uh, it was. It was something that you, as, uh, uh, the minute you could walk, like it was imperative you start training, <laughs> uh, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah. It, it, before I knew I even loved it, it was something that was sort of given to me uh, as a gift, which uh, I really appreciate because it, it definitely shaped, I guess, my whole life uh, uh, when it comes down to it. Um, martial arts led to film and. Um, it, it also gave me like the, a very zen-like uh, way that, like the way that I am on set. I'm very zen and very calm. Um, most of filmmaking is like troubleshooting and you have to stay calm and uh, uh, it's important that no one sees you freak out or anything like that. So I'm like, I'm very steady uh, on set and um, that discipline, that focus, it all like came from martial arts. So, so you would live in Brazil part-time and then come back to LA, was it? No, 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 I uh, lived in the South. Um, oh. Um, for a while, uh, I lived in South Carolina and then uh, many years later moved to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, um, and then came here. Um, so yeah, sort of started in the South, so it was a, a interesting uh, culture shock. <laughs> um, to sort of uh, grow up, um, uh, not not combative, but I was I was very uh, I had a very militarized uh, mentality, I guess, um, and to sort of uh, go from that to being like a, a black sheep, you know, um, in the south, and because uh, I was always a kid who wanted to, uh, uh, when everybody wanted to run out and um, party like I was like nah I'm gonna work on this script or I'm gonna write or I'm gonna train or I'm gonna you know um, you know so it, no one understood what I was doing like nobody understood like uh, you know this this thing I was doing like with film and I was already proclaiming like from a young age like like yo I want to be a filmmaker and and um, yeah nobody got it nobody <laughs> um, at the time you know nobody no one understood it 
You say militarized. Your father was in the military? Yes. Yeah. Um, that's where the martial arts uh, training came from. And that's sort of, uh, um, yeah, so he, he, he instilled in me like a very, uh, I had a very rigid, very structured um, upbringing. And so um, I walked around in combat boots and all black all the time. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just had a very um, unique way of looking at the world. But, but that discipline, like, really helped me a lot. Like, um, it really helped me to, um, to focus. And, like, um, like, I've never drank. Uh, I've never had a drink. I've never smoked. Um, you know, and these were decisions that came about when I was like super young, you know, so, and I never deviated from them. So, um, yeah, I think all that discipline, it, 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 uh, it certainly, certainly made a difference, you know. So you were one kid in Brazil and then you fly to the South and everything changes for yeah. however long you're there. How are you dealing um, with that on a daily basis? Um, it was it was tough, honestly. Like I was very uh, introverted, and I was uh, I felt super isolated um, in a lot of ways because um, I just felt like nobody really understood um, the way that I thought. Nobody really understood, uh, you know, until eventually I, I had like a high school sweetheart or whatever. She brought me out of my shell, but um, up to that point. Um, I was always thinking, so people thought I was angry all the time, but I wasn't. I was just very, like, uh, intensely focused on, like, um, what I wanted to do, which was, like, be a filmmaker, you know. Did you get picked on? No. Because <laughs> they, they saw your, your martial um, arts training? Or? Yeah. Um, <laughs> They knew better. I had a I had a, a, a incident that happened, uh, and then very quickly it gets around. You know what I mean? Um, but what was interesting about that too is um, I've always been a teacher. Like I've always uh, had students. You know, even as a, a young kid, like I always found myself um, in positions where I was like leading young men or like teaching young men or being somebody who. Uh, um, guided a lot of people like I would always impart um, information a lot of times through martial arts um, I always found myself teaching like I've, I've always uh, had the heart of like a teacher I always wanted to share information um, and um, yeah I think that was um, something too that was like really really close to my heart like just just being able to share information with people, even even to this day, um, I always have a lot of people that I mentor and that I, I like to share information with because I feel like um, I feel like that's what it's for. I feel like uh, information is to be shared, and um, you know, if there's a way that you can help someone or give someone um, more knowledge about something than they had the day before, I think that's that's a great gift um, to give to people. So I, I really love teaching, like, uh, in whatever capacity. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about um, starting to teach uh, some seminars this year. Like, I think I'm going to start doing that. Um, on film and writing? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, probably, like, uh, action on screen, you know, how to how to capture and 
choreograph action sequences, um, how to produce projects from start to finish, um, more more practical ways to do it. Um, yeah, I think I, I think that's something I'm going to do starting this year. When did you move to Los Angeles? Two thousand and nine, I think it was. Oh, during the recession? Maybe, maybe two thousand and nine. Yeah. Oh, I bet that was fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was fortunate though. I had um, I had some really good friends here. Um, um, Andre McCoy, who's also a, a stuntman and a martial artist and an actor. Um, yeah, we were friends, and um, yeah, he was like, "Hey, man, just come on out. Like, you can stay here. Just come on out." And um, you know, because I told him like at the time I had um, I'd been living. Uh, in Atlanta for quite a few years, and I'd done, um, I produced like two feature films out there. And um, at the time, I was the only one um, sort of doing action. You know, there were a lot of people doing um, relationship dramas, uh, like Tyler Perry type films and stuff like that. So um, I got like a lot of um, recognition really fast because I was just doing something different. Um, and so, yeah, I did a few uh, films out there and a couple couple other projects out there, directed a few projects. And I, I felt like I had done all that I could there. Like, I felt like I had sort of reached um, um, the ceiling out there as far as I could go. Um, so I knew it was time to come here, you know what I mean? So. Well, was that moment where you felt that? Like, um, was it just where you were feeling stagnant? Well, it was um, it was after the release of uh, my second film it was called uh, Champion Road uh, Arena, and at the time I had um, I had two movies that were released worldwide uh, through distribution. Um, they had done really well for me, and um, I just felt like um, I needed to be where things were really happening. Like I needed to. Um, there were a lot of uh, calls that I had gotten a lot of. Uh, interest I gotten but um, they were like well can you meet tomorrow and I was like well no I'm kind of in Atlanta you know that type of thing so it was uh, the need to sort of be able to um, make things sort of happen uh, in the moment because when they happen they would happen quickly and I, I wasn't I'd be like well give me a few days and you know that type of thing so um, I was like yeah I, I really feel like I've done all that I can do here um, and um, I just really need to be where everything is is going on, everything's happening. Um, yeah, so it was it was inevitable. The the move uh, to LA was inevitable. Like it it uh, it was always in the cards as well. So um, yeah, I think I just felt like it was time. You know. So you're you're moving out here. It's 2009. Nobody kind of knows what's going on. It's they don't know how bad everything's going to get. <laughs> How was that sort of uncertainty? Um, yeah. I mean, I think everybody was was feeling it, no matter yeah. how supposedly stable their situation was. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I had a plan, though. I mean, because um, um, I'm very much like that. I like to plan. I like to um, sort of have uh, a direction that I'm going in and certain steps that I want to take to sort of get where I want to be. And um, uh, I guess it comes from um, when I started out. Like uh, I started at 15, I started writing 
um, directing, shooting, choreographing, and editing. And you know, I, I started uh, really early um, uh, shooting on Betamax. Um, and so uh, the way I figured out uh, how to create an editing system for my films was I would take two Betamax machines, put them together. Um, I pop a, I pop the raw foot like I'd shoot on Betamax, and I pop the, that 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 raw footage in the top uh, player. On the bottom player, I I put um, an empty uh, tape in there, and so uh, and run it all through the television. And so I would use the pause and uh, play button to actually uh, cut on my short onto the uh, uh, onto the the empty uh, tape. You know, so. <laughs> Um, I learned to get really precise because if you make a mistake, you have to start all over again and recut the whole thing. So um, I used like two Betamax machines to edit, and then I, I ran a boombox into the Betamax machines into the t television. And uh, I had like all my cassette tapes kind of queued up with music, and I would have to, at the exact moment, I would have to pop the tape in and, and play it and record the music onto my uh, uh, short films, you know. So... I just kind of cook, cooked up this elaborate way to uh, to make these uh, short films, these little five-minute and ten-minute little uh, shorts. And um, I was sort of uh, out of necessity. I was sort of used to doing everything myself. Uh, um, I would have to write the short. Um, I would use my friends, and we would shoot on the weekends. Um, and then throughout the week, you know, I would edit and put the music on. And by the by, the next weekend, I would have like a short film. Everybody sit around and watch it. And um, so, um, yeah, I always sort of had that um, mentality of sort of having my hands in every part of the process. Um, I'm still very much like that today. Like um, um, anytime I produce a, a project or, or my company produces a, a film or anything like that. I'm like super hands-on. Um, I do like a lot of freelance work, and those are the times when um, I'm just directing or something like that, and um, things move uh, considerably slower, <laughs> you know, uh, on those bigger projects. Like, uh, you know, I'm used to moving quickly and being like super efficient. Um, but yeah, I. Um, uh, I think that's that's really why I'm able to 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 get done as much as I do now is because I I started that way I started with um, having to do so much myself uh, just out of necessity and then um, yeah I, it's interesting too because like the first camera I ever bought like a um, so at 15 I put this camera on layaway it was a uh, it was Japanese this Betamax camera it wasn't in English so nobody wanted it you know what I mean. And so um, uh, that was the only reason I could afford it is because uh, it was so cheap because nobody would buy this thing. And so um, I bought it, I took it home, and then I, um, I made myself like a table of contents. Like I would push a button and see what it does. And then whatever, that, whatever it did, I would just write that down. Like, oh, okay, that must be rewind, and this must be play, and this must be, you know, and sort of like made myself uh, a table of contents to use the camera until I learned uh, all the symbols and learned what they did. And um, and yeah, that's how I uh, started making my first shorts with this Japanese camera that nobody wanted. You know. What store was this where you put it on layaway? Uh, oh, it was a pawn shop. 
Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was oh. like an old school pawn shop. Um, but there were some interesting stories behind that camera. Yeah, it took a, it took like eleven months to get that camera. Uh -huh. I mean, every little bit of money I got, I would just put on this camera, and you know. Um, but one thing I, I appreciate about my parents is they never told me I couldn't do it. Like, um, I would be like, "Hey, I'm gonna make," you know, and they'd be like, "Yep, we'll be right there watching." You know, like they never discouraged me. They never said like that's ridiculous what are you you know what are you talking about like you know um nobody ever said i couldn't so i never i never thought there was something i couldn't do you know you've produced over 40 short films yeah yeah and that's starting from age 15 until uh sometime like uh late in my 20s um yeah most of them um uh, I, I kind of I kind of had a, a a plan like I said before I started out with like little five minute shorts and then sort of built to uh, like a ten minute short and then to a twenty minute and then forty minutes and then you know eventually uh, my first feature film um, and um, yeah a lot of those were mostly um, for myself like uh, some I'd released but most of them. Um, I just wanted to focus on particular aspects of filmmaking. So, for instance, um, um, with one, I might just focus on composition, you know, like um, another might be just lighting, um, another might be sound, another might be movement or uh, being able to um, frame action uh, a particular way. Um, yeah, and so, like, um, yeah, I, I always sort of approached every aspect of filmmaking from a, a separately. Like, um, I'm, I'm gonna give you guys a tip. I'm, I'm gonna give you a, a really important uh, piece of information. Like, um, one of my mentors gave me, and it was a way to sort of, like, in the beginning when you're trying to train your eye, as far as uh, cinematography, um, this was a, a tip I got that sort of took my uh my my uh cinematography from here to here like overnight so um so what you do is you get uh, a binder like a five ring binder or something like that um you go online you search google um you look for movies that are like a hundred million dollars or more like in terms of budget right um you find uh close-ups you find two shots, you find masters, you find all these different uh, frames, like stills, still frames from all these films. The reason you choose $100 million films is because they can afford like the top cinematographers in the world, right? So you, you section off your uh, binder, let's say you want close-ups. So in this section, you put maybe five examples of close-ups. Uh, another section, you put uh, another five examples of uh, two shot or whatever, over the shoulder, whatever. And you, uh, you fill it up with those different frames and different sections. And so um, from there, let's say um, you're a cinematographer, you're kind of new at it, you're just starting out, um, and you may not really know how to frame subjects that great just yet. So what you do is every time you shoot, um, you set up your tripod, you set up your camera, um, you adjust your frame the way you think it should be, the way you think uh, it should look. Let's say you have two people having a conversation, whatever the case is. Um, and you want to do uh, an over-the-shoulder shot. You adjust that frame to where you think it should look, right? 
Then you take out your binder and you go to over-the-shoulder shots, and then you hold that binder up next to your your frame, and then you begin to adjust your frame based on the composition you see in those frames. And so as you do that, it's going to slowly begin to train your eye to have a more cinematic composition. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, that's just a little tip right there. You know what I'm saying? Why invest so much time in all those shorts? Did you realize that you were going to work your way up to a feature eventually? Oh yeah, that that was um, feature films was always uh, the goal from the beginning. Um, but I've I've always had a very realistic approach to the industry. Like um, um, I I didn't expect to be able to make Transformers like my first week out. You know what I mean? So. Um, I always felt like um, it was the the craft was really important to to really study it, to understand it, to be a student of film, to uh, take my time and sort of um, get as technically skilled as I could um, um, through studying, through courses, through whatever it is. Um, not not be so much in a rush to sort of just throw things out there, but. Um, you know, really have a solid foundation and um, really have a, a great understanding of um, all the different aspects of, of filmmaking. So, um, yeah, most of those was really just to sort of go through the process because you learn so much going through the process. Like it's just one thing to um, have all these ideas, but until you really go through it, um, and come out the other side, like um, you really don't understand it fully. You don't really know what it takes to go from script to screen um, and all those, all those little things in between. Um, and so um, I wanted to start from a place where I would be comfortable to start small, um, not be in a rush to jump out there and make a feature, but um, really just focus on like um, the art and the techniques of, of filmmaking and sort of as, you know, as I'm comfortable to, 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 to sort of branch out and, and make things bigger and bigger, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was always in the cards, um, to make features, but, um, I wanted to be comfortable before, before I jumped in, you know? Um, and then ultimately like my first feature, I produced it myself. I didn't ask for, uh, any funding at all. Um, because I, I felt like um, before I could expect someone to invest in me, I needed to, to show that I invested in myself. And um, I wanted to um, show the value of my work, you know, because, uh, you know, that's, that's a big thing, asking someone, especially for someone you don't know, asking them to take their hard-earned money and sort of invest in you and the question, um, just looking at it from a realistic standpoint, the question would, would be like, well, why? Why invest in you? Like, can you even make this film? Like, this thing you're asking me to give you money for, can you even do it? Like, um, you know, you have to be able to show that you, you're capable of producing this thing that you're, you're asking people to pay you to, to, to make. Um, and so um, I wanted to have a track record of um, of, of uh, work and I want a, a body of work that they could see 
Uh, basically, I want to take all the no's away. Like, uh, any reason they would have to say no, I wanted to take that away <laughs> uh, from them. And so uh, a lot of that has to do with having a track record, having a body of work, even if it's, uh, even if you're, you haven't had anything distributed yet, or, or uh, you know, you, you haven't um, had any big successes there yet, to at least um, have a, a, a body of work that uh, can show consistent uh, growth and like um, show the value of what you have to offer, you know, uh, I thought was important. So, When you think back to being uh, in Brazil and then being in South Carolina or somewhere in the South, yeah. um, how were you choosing which films you watched when you were younger? Like who, who was influencing you? Was your dad? Was mm. your mom? Um, I think I think it 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 it, uh, it it came from it came from martial arts and then it, then it came from my um, love of uh, storytelling. You know, um, a lot of people think I only make action films, but I, I I make like every range of film. I just happen to love action movies because um, you know it's something I grew up uh, watching, but. Um, yeah, I think the martial arts was the biggest influence, and but then also uh, uh, films that had nothing to do with action. Um, I just liked uh, really smart uh, films, really films that thinking man films. You know, think uh, films that would make you uh, think, um, maybe be a little unpredictable. Um, maybe the approach to telling a story is unique or. Uh, you know, sometimes it's just how you present the idea. Sometimes it's uh, um, the way that you um, go about telling the story visually. You know, there's there's all these different ways of, um, even if you don't have a lot of money, you can still make something unique. You can still uh, do something interesting and, and different, you know, and... Uh, I think a lot of times people get too caught up on the budget um, and they start to limit themselves like uh, based on the budget. Well, I, you know, I don't have enough money to do this, um, but maybe there's another way you can approach that, that problem or maybe there's another way you can um, approach telling the story that could be unique that maybe doesn't cost a lot. Um, Maybe it's in the way you shoot it. Maybe it's in the way you light it. Maybe it's in um, the way you edit it. Maybe it's in uh, the sound design or something like that. So um, anytime I create something, I never, um, I never, I never put a constraint on it based on the the, the dollar amount. You know, um, I try to not um, think about that. I try to think about it in terms of. Uh, how can I approach this in an artistic way or a visually striking way or something like that? Um, Is it a myth that you can't make money from short films? Um, well, yeah, I think now. I think now um, because I think things have changed so much. I think uh, maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago, it, it would have been tougher. But I think that um, because there are so many platforms now, um, that 
look for digital content. I think um, because you have sort of direct to consumer, um, you know, you have that now as a resource. Like uh, whereas before, before social media and um, places like YouTube, Vimeo, and Demand, um, all these different sites where you can um, showcase your work and you can you can go directly to a consumer. I think there's ways now where you can do it. Like, um, I know uh, a friend of mine made a short film and I think the short was maybe 30 minutes, but um, he had like a three hour course on how he made that short film. And so um, not only was he selling the short, but he was selling how he made it, you know what I mean? So um, it was like a, a little mini film school. So. Um, there's so many ways now that you can, um, you know, get your product to people, and if it's if it's good and people see the value in it, then um, they'll they'll purchase it. You know. Have you had a short film of yours purchased? Hmm. Oh. Um. It's interesting because I'm, I'm actually working on a pilot right now. I've done a lot of those sort of things, like pilot presentations. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, I just finished uh, uh, directing and shooting a, a pilot uh, called COLA. Well, it's called City of Los Angeles, but COLA is like the abbreviation. Um, and I work with some really great guys on that. And um, that's something that they're sort of trying to start their own little streaming platform to make like original content and stuff like that. Um, so I just finished that one and then um, I'm also uh, working on a pilot called I Declare War. Like um, it's like a female led sort of graphic novel style like action um, project. Um, and um, we start shooting that in April. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm actually thinking about testing that market a little bit, like um, um, either through Vimeo on demand or um, or maybe some other platform, or maybe like an aggregation site or something like that. Just getting it on a couple of different platforms, but um, that's something I'm curious about. Um, actually, exploring myself. RL, what's your process for developing an idea? I think everyone is different. Um, Sometimes you'll get just a log line. Sometimes you'll see an image. Um, sometimes you'll get the name of it, but not know specifically what the story is yet. Um, usually what I try to do is like, uh, as I start, um, I have like this, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, speech Notes, I think it is. There's a, a app called Speech Notes. Um, and so I'll, I'll start to get information, little bits and pieces about a story. Uh, I'll start jotting them down um, in my phone. And um, usually once I kind of have a good idea of what that story is, um, I always start with the outline. Like I, um, anytime before I write a script, I always uh, outline the entire script. Um, scene one, scene two, scene three, and then I'll have like uh, a couple of, a couple of, uh, lines of information to describe the this the scene so uh this is how i like avoid writer's block like uh i always outline the entire script 
from front to back. So um, when I start writing, I just write from 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 that uh, those script notes. Um, but yeah, I usually start there. I start uh, with just a an idea, outline it. Uh, I I always decide early on. Um, what the lighting's gonna be, how the camera's gonna move, the color, everything. Like um, before I even go into pre-production, like I, I um, I have a, a full idea of the style, the look of it, um, the pacing of it, the tone of it, um, and um, yeah. Once I do that, I I start writing the script. Um, I have a team that uh, I work with, and. Um, I usually tell them pretty pretty early on like what the what the concept is and um how I want to approach it and um yeah I sort of, I sort of go from there. Yeah. You have a pretty deep intuition. Yeah, yeah. I I um I always have a really good idea of what's going to work. I think like uh um you know, uh, I'm constantly looking at the market and how it how it uh, responds to certain things, and um, you get a good idea of like, okay, this might not be a great time to make a western, you know, versus <laughs> uh, versus hey, like a superhero thriller might be really good right now, you know, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I always sort of watch what the market's doing, and. Um, uh, it's usually pretty in line with my taste as a uh, as just a film goer, like the kind of stuff I like to watch. Um, and then you have to sort of project a few years out because it, it might take a few years uh, to get that that project done. So you almost want to um, whatever that story idea, whatever your uh, approach you take, you you almost want it to be a few years ahead of where you are so that by the time it's ready, uh, it doesn't feel stale. It doesn't feel old um, or outdated. Um, so yeah, that's usually approach I take. Um, has your intuition ever led you to something that actually existed already, like a real life story? Like you were so tapped in and then you realized, oh wow, that really happened? And it kind of surprising hmm. or? Um, not as of as of yet, like, because uh, I, I I like to be in, uh, informed about things. Like I'm I'm very much uh, every day. I'm always like seeking out new information or or um, staying up on new tech uh, as far as filmmaking, new gear, um, and then just like what's going on in the world. Um, um, but I I do like to sort of sometimes I like to to pull. Uh, things from what's going on in the world and sort of twist them a little bit um, so that so that it is there like there is an underlying thing that that might be there um, concerning something going on in the world but um, I try not to be too on the nose with it um, you know because I, I do want it to be entertaining I try not to be uh, overly political um, because I know I know people get sensitive about that when you put like way too much politics uh, in your film, um, people have like strong uh, um, reactions to that sort of thing. So I just want to entertain people and maybe um, have them see things a little bit differently than they may have before. But I don't want to. I don't want to preach to them or 
uh, that sort of thing. <laughs> right. Is, yeah. is, is it hard to do that though? Because right now, like our culture is is turning so much. What whatever side, quote unquote, side anybody's on, yeah. you see it in the YouTube comments. We didn't used to see that before. Yeah. It wasn't brought um, up. Whatever quote side somebody was on. Yeah, it's super political now. I mean, it's. And so the thought yeah, that you may have um, to, as as a factor of of how the world is changing and it's becoming an us against them. Again, whoever side is them and whoever side is us. Yeah. That's how it seems like we're all viewing, not all yeah. of us, but a lot of people, we're kind of, it's seeping into the culture. So as a fact yeah. of just writing about it. Yeah, I think, um, I think you can touch on some things without making a concrete sort of, this is the way it, you know, that sort of thing. I think you can touch on certain things and, and um, you know, you can see a little bit of that influence there without um, picking, without jumping on either side, you know what I mean? Just um, sort of just present a point of view, I think. Um, and um, without hopefully offending anyone, it, which is very difficult, I mean, nowadays. But um, I usually try to deal with themes that are more universal, so it's it's less... Um, just sort of folk, less localized and less focused on just one particular group or point of view. Because um, I think universal themes like we all can um, relate to. We can all connect with like a universal themes of uh, love, um, wanting to protect people you care about, um, doing the right thing in a lot of cases, or some people doing things that are wrong, but they feel they're justified or they feel they're right. Um, so a lot of those sort of overarching themes, um, I try to play in that spectrum, you know? Um, yeah, cause I, cause I, I wanna make my films with a, for like a global market. I don't wanna um, create things that feel too localized or too, um, like I'm excluding different groups of people. You know what I mean? Um, you think the martial arts affected that? Just the balance, staying more in the middle. Um, yeah, I would. I would say so. I think uh, it's helped me in so many ways, man. I mean, um, even in uh, it's it. Uh, the 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 physical part of it is really small in comparison to um, the spiritual aspect of it and the, the discipline, the self-discipline, the, the sort of uh, um, you know the 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 way that you you sort of see everyone as being like uh, we're closer, uh, we're we're more like than we think we are. You know what I mean? And uh, being a teacher for so many years, like uh, having so many different people um, that you interact with and you become really close with, um, you start to realize that. And I think uh, I think that's affected the way that, that I make films uh, as well. Like a lot of times we're we're just super misunderstood. Like uh, you know, and sometimes we're not listening to other people. We we're only trying to get our point across and we're not seeing um, their point of view, you know. Um, everyone's intentions aren't 
bad, you know. They um they just might you just may not understand their intentions and I feel like uh you know, that that plays really well with the that's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, I think that that plays really well uh, in film because you know it's very. Uh, it's all about what you get from it, and it's all about sort of what you take from it, uh, and and different people will take uh, different things from it. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, I think that's the really cool thing about being a storyteller is like. Um, you can tell a story and it's going to affect people in different ways. Um, you know, I'll never forget like um, my first screening. It was the first film I made. Um, it was called Champion Road. And it was back in uh, 2006 I produced that film. And uh, it came out in 2008. And um, I had uh, a screening, like a local theater screening. And this guy came up to me afterwards. It was it was about so basically it was about this guy who his wife uh was um was dying and she needed an operation and uh, they couldn't afford it. And so he uh he wasn't even a fighter, he was just a guy, you know. But he put his he put himself in harm's way, you know, to, to, to save her and uh afterwards this guy came up to me and he said, Man, you know what, like um, he had he'd been having issues with his wife, like they'd been arguing, and uh, I think through it he realized like how petty he was being and how like how much he did care for her. And he was like, "Man, I'm leaving here and I'm gonna go get my wife back." And you know, but he was like, "I just wanted you to know that," you know. And I just uh -huh. thought like that was it. Like no matter what else happens with this film, like that was so cool, so worth it. Um, you know, yeah, that meant more to me than like everything else that happened with that movie. Yeah. What are the questions you're asking yourself every time you start to develop a story? Usually, uh, one of the first things I ask is, um, uh, can it be done like right this moment? You know, like, uh, um, depending on how it's being funded or, or depending on um, how I have to approach it. Um, I always, I like what I've noticed, uh, in a lot of instances is, um, when people go to, to make, uh, projects, they always, um, focus on shooting it. Very few people focus on finishing it, you know what I mean? Um, uh, through post and everything. So, um, you always have to consider how you're going to finish it. Um, and so, um, yeah, if I have an idea... Um, it depends on how I'm gonna do it. If I if I'm getting um, an investor, a private investor, or uh, if I'm gonna produce it myself, um, I start asking myself those questions. Um, in the case of uh, Lazarus, for instance, um, Lazarus is a, a feature film that um, well, I'm, I'm just finishing up post on right now. Um, I partnered with uh, Sean Riggs, who's an actor. Um, and also a producer, and um, we sort of went into it together uh, as a vehicle for him. Um, he had done a lot of great work up to that point, and um, but he wanted to do things more in the action genre, and so um, you know we sort of developed it um, 
and the plan was to get uh, outside investors and that which is what we did so um so knowing that like i i um started to sort of devise a plan because my my goal was to sort of create um more movies in the sci-fi superhero genre um to create my own universe of heroes uh you know because i i felt like there should be more inclusion of heroes but i also feel like um it's something that we can do ourselves uh, i don't feel like uh we have to leave everything to marvel or dc like i feel like there's there's room for uh, other people to create uh, heroes of their own um i'm very much a, a a person who feels like you don't have to wait for someone else i think you can you can do it yourself you know um I've always sort of had that attitude. So, um, yeah, with Lazarus, we had an idea. I started, um, I started writing, and um, you know, uh, we started reaching out to different financiers. And based on the work I'd already done, like um, my the feature I'd just done before that, Call Me King, it uh, we'd done like a limited theatrical. Um, it was on Netflix and. Uh, did really well on Netflix um, and a lot of other uh, streaming platforms. And so uh, we were sort of able to use uh, the momentum of that film to to fund uh, Lazarus. And so, um, yeah, we sort of just went into that with the idea of, of that being the first of uh, many uh, new heroes uh, that we'd uh, create and then... Um, um, my next feature coming up is called The Almighty Street Team. It's uh, based on uh, a comic book and um, a video game. And um, the guys that created that, uh, it's five guys who sort of uh, had their own individual hero and then they, they sort of put them all together. Uh, they met at a comic book convention and, and they, uh, they put all of them together into one book. And um, when I saw it, I was super blown away by it. Um, and so uh, I knew those were going to be sort of the two flagship heroes like in this new studio, uh, Wonder Studios. Uh, and so, um, yeah, we sort of set out on this quest, man, to just uh, bring new heroes to the screen, you know. So I'm really I'm really excited for people to see Lazarus. It, uh, um, you know, we worked really hard on it and, um, you know, it was it was. An interesting experience because there's there's a lot of uh, um, visual effects involved. It's probably the, it's it's the most visual effects heavy uh, film I've done to date. You know. What did your first few screenplays teach you about screenwriting? That's a really good question. Um, I think some of my even even like a lot of my early. Films. I I was a huge uh, lover of like uh, horror action, sci-fi action. Um, you know, I, I always like sort of the more supernatural themes or the more uh, uh, you know the stuff that was sort of extraordinary because it was. Uh, I felt like there were no rules. Like you could sort of, um, in terms of story, you could say or do anything you wanted. Um, so uh, a lot of those early 
uh, scripts were in that vein. It was like, uh, you know, these huge epics. Like I, I learned very quickly that um, when you start out as a writer, like uh, don't write yourself into a situation where it's something that can't be made. <laughs> you know, I think that's the biggest thing I learned is uh, sometimes you need to sort of sort of tone it down. Um, bring it back down to the ground a little bit, um, you know, because um, we can we can tend to sort of get really extreme and really um, crazy with uh, our ideas. And uh, sometimes, if you're just a writer and you don't you don't do any other part of the process, like you can sort of make things that are so big and so expensive that you almost limit your options in, in terms of being able to get it made like um you can you can go too big you know um so i i would say that's the thing i learned early on like um um i used to shop a lot of scripts around and and um you know i had these lofty ideas you know and when it came down to actually making my first uh feature i was like okay that's not gonna happen. Like we cannot make Transformers with no budget, so uh, we got to bring this back down to reality. And so uh, I uh, I started to shift um, my approach a little bit. I started to look at um, the things I actually had access to versus um, sort of um, writing about these things that um, were just way too big to get made and so I started looking at uh my the resources I had and then let that influence the story or the the way that I would write the script for instance if uh if I knew somebody with a bar or if I knew somebody with a garage or whatever the case is you know I, I um, once it came to actually f producing this stuff myself I started um pulling using those resources and developing stories around those those things that I knew I could do and knew I could um could could get access to um so that I would set myself up to succeed you know as far as uh producing um these projects and I was like I'll, I'll uh I started out writing these extreme massive uh stories and then I was like, okay, I'm going to bring it all the way down to the ground and then work my way back up <laughs> to making bigger and bigger uh, films and didn't sort of do it that way. Um, but yeah, it, it really came down to like, okay, let's, let's really get real about what we have, what we don't have, what we have access to, what we don't, um, what we can make, what we can't, you know, and, uh, and kind of go from there, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I think that was the, the most important lesson I learned is to, um, you sort of have the dream and then you have the reality and you have to operate based on realistically where you are and what you have and just work your way up from there. Yeah. So you saw a movie like Tape works it's, yeah. it's pretty much one location and, yeah, absolutely. and just incredible dialogue and, and yeah. interaction between the, the talent. But in terms of maybe um, some of the technique, mm. what, what did your first few screenplays teach you about that? Um, 
What was interesting is because of, because of my background of sort of doing it, uh, every part of the process myself, I had a slightly different view of it uh, because when I when I write, I'm already thinking about um, how the scene is going to be done, how it's going to be shot, um, what type of shots I'll be using because I'm also the, the cinematographer. So, um, yeah, it, it definitely, um, I think, gave me a, a different vantage point of of it because as I'm writing it I know how it needs to be shot I know how many shots I'm going to need um, you know I'm already looking at the um, I'm already sort of breaking it down as I'm writing it and so um, I knew like as I'm writing I know I'm able to do these things like I know I'm able to um, produce these scenes, you know what I mean? So I'm able to sort of uh, uh, not not limit myself, but I'm able to sort of uh, be, be a little more informed about how I'm writing these scenes, like making sure that I'm not um, putting anything on the page that can't be done, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I would say that from that from that standpoint, being the person that is gonna shoot it, who's gonna edit it, you know, um, all that stuff informs the way that I would approach uh, writing a scene. Yeah. What's the most broke you've been in your life? And can you tell us a story about it? Mm, most broke in in regards to filmmaking, or sure. just yeah, it's just a time in your life. We've, we've been gathering um, stories about that. Probably when I made my first movie, uh, my first feature film, um, I actually produced my first movie for 500 bucks. Um, shot it in three weeks um, between uh, my house, my neighbor's house, and a friend's house that was like around the corner. So, <laughs> so between like a, a one block radius, like. A, I, uh, and the way the way it happened is sort of like um, I I'd, um, this is actually interesting. So I I prepped to do uh, my first movie. It was it was a whole, totally different idea than what I ended up going with. Um, I had done pre production for maybe two months, and uh, it was all going to take place in like this this really big building. And uh, the day before we were going to start shooting, the investor pulled out. It's like, oh, something came up. I can't, you know, I can't do it. So we had prepped uh, myself, the cast, everybody. We had done all this prep for two months. Um, we uh, had put, like, a deposit on the, the location um, that we were going to use, the building. We couldn't get the deposit back. So um, I think that happened... Uh, on a Saturday. We were supposed to start shooting Sunday, right? So uh, I get the news on Saturday. Um, I call up the cast. Between Saturday and Sunday, I spoke to everybody. I said, look, um, this is what happened. And um, yeah, now we don't have a, we don't have a budget. We don't have, uh, you know, everything we prepped for, um, is pretty much we're at square one now. And I was like, I know you guys are ready to shoot. They had already taken off, uh, people had taken off days and took mm. off time, 
to to shoot a film. I said, look, we're going to shoot a movie. Um, give me a day and I will get back to you. Uh, but but come. Uh, and now we I guess we uh, we couldn't shoot Sunday. So it was going to be Monday. I said, just give me a day. Come Monday, we're going to start shooting. So the way I ended up shooting my first feature was I would uh, write the scenes that we were going to shoot that day in the morning. The cast would show up that day, get the scenes. Um, we would go through the scenes, and basically we would shoot the scenes so that the same day they got the scenes, we shot them. There were action scenes in the film. I would have to choreograph the fights the day of and teach it to the actors uh, the day we shot them. So we basically uh, uh, shot the film that way uh, every single day. Like I would shoot that day and then do the work that night to prep coming into the morning. And we so we shot the whole movie that way. Uh, <laughs> uh, most of the actors had no martial arts training. Um, but I, I, uh, I've actually developed, now this is also very interesting. I, I've developed a, a way of choreographing at, uh, fight scenes over the years and making actors look like they know how to fight, you know? Um, and, uh, I use a sort of this, like this chain, chain link method where, um, you take three or four techniques, um, we call it an, uh, an exchange, right? So one exchange would be three or four techniques, um, you teach those three or four techniques to the actors. Um, it's sort of a short, a short burst of energy versus like just shooting a fight full on and people getting tired and then that's how accidents happen, right? Um, but you could get a short burst of energy out of them uh, for three or four techniques. And, and in the edit, you use um, the last technique of that exchange, you would use that uh, to cut into um, the first technique of the next exchange. And uh, I actually learned that method from looking at, like when I was young, uh, you know the barrel of monkeys where they would have the, the hands that would connect and you pull them out of the, you know, the barrel of monkeys. So um, that's how I uh, learned to, uh, to choreograph and then cut. Um, the way I would cut is I would use the last part of that exchange as the first move. So even though you're shooting these tiny little bursts of uh, of action, when you cut them together, they seem seamless because you always use the material from the last uh, punch. So I guess to simplify that, if if uh, if I have an exchange and the last the last technique of that exchange is a straight punch, right? Um, the next technique in the new exchange is that same straight punch, you know what I mean? So that you're able to, to carry that over. Um, and the, the um, I'm using the straight punch from the second exchange, um, not the last technique of that exchange. So that way, uh, it just seems like a constant stream of energy, like this uh, nonstop sort of action uh, sequence even though it was like these really tiny bursts. So that way you can keep everybody safe um, and you can sort of control um, how, you know, how things are done. And, and then you, you, uh, you, you use uh, composition based on like what's going to make that technique look the best. So you're able to hide their flaws and 
um, and sort of show uh, their strengths, hide their weaknesses, that sort of thing. Um, but um, but yeah, I I think um, that whole three weeks of making my first feature with um, I had no script, I had no you know I had to write it as we shot, and they had no prep, we had no money, um, you know. That's probably like the brokest I've been, but that but that movie got like worldwide distribution, and um, and sort of yeah that 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 also showed me like how much uh, power you really have like as a content creator like how you can sort of create something and even if it's in um, a rough situation, um, it can it can still do great things and it can still uh, be received well and. Um, yeah, that just opened up a world of possibilities after that. And then how confident did that make you going forward before every other shoot? Because you basically had the bottom fallout. Yeah. And you still yeah. made it work somehow. I mean, you had people that they could have been very mad. They took all this time off, whatever. Yeah. Everybody was probably like heartbroken. You made it work somehow. How, how did that yeah. build your confidence? Yeah, I mean, it um, It was great um, because... Um, I never, I never gave them the impression that things were just, you know what I mean? I, I was very calm, you know, this happened, but this is what we're going to do. You know, like I, I never, um, I never made it feel like it was a problem, like a, just this thing that we couldn't um, get past or, um, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. It was just the way I delivered it to them, I guess. And then I think um, also because they had seen a lot of the other work I'd done, like the shorts and stuff like that, I think they were pretty confident that, I, uh, you know, we'd be okay. Um, but I was very much, um, I was never like, look, oh, my God, they did this, and I don't know what we're going to, you know, I never, never did that. I was just like, hey. You know, um, we're going to just change gears a little bit. You know, this is what happened. Um, we're still making a film. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I think just being calm and uh, never sort of letting on how crazy things had gotten, I think <laughs> I think that helped a lot. And um, um, to have it go so wrong and to be able to come out the other side uh, with something that was like tangible, like yeah, that that changed everything for me. Like, you know, I I just didn't feel like it was there. I didn't feel like it was anything I couldn't do at that point. I just felt like you just find a way. Like, um, you stay calm, you figure it out, you problem solve, um, and um. Because if you if you strip away all the inessentials, right, when you get down to what a film really is, it's location, it's um, actors, um, you know, lighting, sound, you know, um, composition, storytelling, you know, and whether it's a hundred million dollars or a hundred dollars, you can still tell a story if you have the tools and. Uh, you know, you can you, you can still tell a great story. It, it's it really isn't about the money at all. Um, money helps. Money can make things grander or bigger or whatever. But when it really comes down to um, telling like a human story, it um, you really don't need a, a lot to do that. You know.
and uh, yeah, that's what it taught. It's an excellent story. Thanks. That's great. I'm sure it wasn't excellent at the time, but yeah, <laughs> that's really scary. Yeah, I just didn't. I, I really didn't panic. I just because I, I was so used to it. I was so used to making these things like the way I was making them, you know, like as a kid, like I was so used to just, okay, I'm going to write it, I'm going to shoot it, I'm going to edit it, I'm going to, you know, we're going to use a, this room or that room. Like, so to me, it, um, it felt like just going back to like how I started, you know, and I was comfortable in that. And I think that's the reason why um, I didn't see a reason to panic. I just was like, okay, we can't do that, but we can do this, you know, yeah. We were talking about heroes a bit off camera, and mm -hmm. you had talked about how your desire to create or show a certain type of hero was very important to you. Yeah. Can you talk about what that is and, and what does a hero represent to you in storytelling? Um, so yeah, I, I um, my fascination with it, it was with with the, the hero figure. It, it didn't start like uh, with, with comic books and, and superheroes. It really started with um, action heroes and, and martial arts and um, growing up as a young kid um, studying Chinese martial arts I uh, I was a huge fan of uh, action cinema and um, by the time I reached maybe 15 is when it really struck me I, uh, you know I realized that all my heroes were uh, Asian you know um, and I was like, wow, like, um, I'm doing the same martial arts, but none of them look like me, you know? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that's really when my journey started as far as filmmaking, because I, I, I made a vow that I would um, create platforms where I could showcase heroes that look like me, but that fought like them, you know? And uh, that was sort of... Um, where like my my filmmaking journey started right then i just felt like uh i wanted to see more heroes that reflected the way i looked uh up there on the screen um and it was it was never like a exclusively that you know exclusively my image but i i just wanted to see a uh, 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 i guess more of an even playing field like more heroes that reflected myself and my friends um, and so, yeah, that's sort of where it came from, for me. Um, the idea of a hero, like a person who would fight for what they believed in and fight for the right things and, um, protect the people they love and, um, protect the world and, um, someone who was like righteous and, and upstanding and, you know, who had sort of all those qualities that, um, I felt were like important, you know, things that were instilled in me as well. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of, I guess, where that started. And uh, even even up until now, I felt like uh, I wanted to, to contribute to that. I wanted to contribute to the idea of uh, now that the superhero genre is so big, like uh, it's sort of taken over. Uh, everything and um, there are a lot of discussions now. A lot of a lot of uh, like uh, p 
people focusing on like more uh, in- inclusiveness, I guess, uh, across the board um, in all genres, and and uh, it, it's interesting now. I I feel like the audiences are more vocal about it, and they're sort of ready to see more representation of uh, female superheroes, um, superheroes of color, of every race, every creed. Um, and, uh, yeah, I didn't want to be one of those people who just sort of complained about it. I wanted to um, do my part and um, sort of contribute to it. And that's sort of where uh, um, Wonder Studios comes from. Wonder Studios is like a division of, of my company, uh, Shadow Motion Pictures, um, and that division is going to be sort of solely for like uh, films in the superhero genre and sci-fi genre. Um, yeah. What about um, the character flaws in heroes today that are acceptable or maybe even embraced versus decades ago? Have we evolved in terms of allowing these superheroes to have more character flaws? I think so. I think I think because. Um, We've been exposed to a lot more. I think um, I think when uh, back um, in the '90s and you know '80s, '90s, that sort of thing, there was a very black and white sort of. This is what a hero is. This is what a villain is. You know that sort of thing. And I think um, because we're being, we've been exposed to so much more material through uh, streaming platforms, through television. Um, in movies, we're we're getting um, a lot more. Um, I'm noticing things are um, a lot more raw, a lot more um, gritty, um, and we're sort of seeing um, characters that, to me, feel more human because they're 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 gray. You know, they're shades of gray, um, and um, to me, it, it it's a more realistic depiction of what a hero could be because. Um, I feel like everyone has shades of gray. There's certain times when things may happen in our lives and we may get angry, or but we're still a good person. But you know, we may react in a, a negative way or whatever the case is. And um, yeah, I feel like um, social media. I feel like um, just media in general has sort of impacted these stories, and um, we're seeing a lot more um, anti-heroes and. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot more shades of gray, which is, is much more interesting than sort of the cardboard cutout sort of hero because um, it's harder to relate to that idea um, because nobody's black and white. Nobody um, is perfect, <laughs> you know, um, and so um, I think that's why people relate to Batman more than Superman. I think that's why Batman is more, um, uh, it's probably a little more popular than Superman because Superman is more of an idea than a tangible sort of, it's hard to connect on a human level with Superman, you know, um, because he's, you know, he's like a god and he doesn't do anything wrong, you know what I mean? Um and so, um, whereas with Batman, like all of the reasons he became a hero was sort of born out of pain and loss and he's angry and he's isolated and, you know, all these things like uh, 
uh, people I think relate to more. Um, yeah, cause I like Batman more too. So I think that's one of the, that, those are the reasons why though. Yeah. Do you think as a culture we're almost distrustful of quote unquote heroes or figures that are too perfect in this day and age? Yeah, I think we immediately don't buy into it. Like if, you know, cause there's uh, no one's perfect, you know? Um, um, if we're talking about a human being, they can't be perfect. So it's the minute we're sort of uh, presented with that idea, we're like, mm. we're looking for things that are wrong. We're looking for, uh, you know, like uh, we're looking for the truth, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I yeah, I, that's how I feel about it. I, I just there is no perfect person. Uh, and anyone who presents themselves that way uh, is not to be trusted, for sure. We're in an age now where let's let's dig up some dirt on this person. Not not saying that that's the right thing to do. But yeah. It almost seems like that's where we've gone. It's become acceptable. Let's find an old photo. Let's find an old tweet. Let's oh, try yeah. to get somebody oh, yeah. on their dance floor and make them look bad in public. Yeah. Something. I mean, it's become part of 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 what we see every day in the news and on Twitter and. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, it would seep into storytelling. Yeah, and I think I think that's that's a dangerous approach. I think because um, I, I I liken I liken social media to like a Sims like a like a live action Sims game where people <laughs> have sort of these lives that they've created and they're sort of living through these avatars, and um, you know. I've always felt that like the the bigger social media got, the more antisocial people became. Like because you rarely see people in person um, outside of some type of event, especially like when it comes to the industry. Like people rarely spend any time together anymore. Like outside of a film event or a premiere or some type of um, something like that, but just to see each other, like you're not gaining any other thing from it other than just, you know, um, having that relationship and spending time and being close and that sort of thing. And I think that's been lost quite a bit, um, because of the way that, um, social media sort of operates like, um, you know, um, and that's why you have people who are very awkward socially because they they never they never see anyone. <laughs> you know, it's easier to to sort of be more outspoken and um, to have a certain personality when it's online because there's no physical there's no uh, physical connection there. It's um, you know, and I remember growing up and the only time you see your friends, you'd have to go outside and hang out and be outside all day and you know um you saw people every day and that's how you built those relationships and um and yeah now it's it's very rare that that happens and um so i think even because uh, being a writer i think like your life experiences help you um but if you're if most of what you're experiencing is like through the web it's like, uh, where does, you know, where does it come from now? Like, where does, where does, 
um, you know, how much of yourself are you really putting uh, into your stories or, you know, um, I think you can lose a, a bit of um, that genuine sort of part of yourself that um, is so important in storytelling. Like, uh, and it becomes more of data, like what you pull from the world or what you pull from the internet and, you know, uh, maybe maybe not so much of anything you've experienced, but just, um, just information, what you think is going to work, but it's, uh, if it's not coming from a genuine place, then uh, do people really connect with your art or no? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure. Um, I know for me personally, I always try to put something of myself, like some personal part of me in every film. Um, like uh, I could probably look at every movie I've made and, and uh, look at that storyline and it's going to be some reflection of my life, some kind of way, something I went through. Um, yeah. That's interesting because even I think, is it William Gibson? cyberpunk writer like neuromancer and those yeah. uh, different books about the cyber world he says he's actually not a technophile he's actually the opposite yeah. and you would think that that would not be the case since that's what he's writing about so yeah, yeah that just the sort of the need for human connection in terms of developing a story and yeah, yeah it is lost and, and maybe people gain it from creating burner accounts and then they try to get reactions from people and maybe yeah. that's that's how <laughs> they can sort of see human emotion is yeah. pushing buttons online which definitely there's places for that but um that's a good point in terms of being able to go out and just connect with people now even when you see them there's a phone in their hand and you're not really connecting yeah yeah you see like you go to lunch with someone and their head's in the phone the whole time you know, or everybody at the table, they're, everybody's heads is in the phone. And then they'll they'll eat, and then when they're done eating, their heads are back in the phone. And it's just like, there's so much going on around you, but no one's paying attention to it, you know? Um, it's just interesting. Like, uh, like, that's the way people wake up. The minute they open their eyes, they start reaching for their phone. You know, before they can even see clearly, you know, they've already reached for their phone and they're trying to see what they missed, what they missed, uh, you know, and um, whether it's real or not. Yeah. And then, I mean, I, I, it's I'm afraid to see what the future is going to look like. They'll probably just get chips implanted and be online 24 hours even when they sleep. I don't know. You know, <laughs> how do you craft the hero's journey? Wow, that's super interesting question right there. Um, hmm. I think it starts with uh, how you define what a hero is even. I think that people think a, a hero is just somebody who puts on a suit and a cape, you know what I mean? And it can be, um, uh, there was a concept I, I started working on uh, a few years ago where it was about um, a homeless man who like 
was a vet and you know lived uh uh in the slums and he had met this uh this girl she was like a foster kid and um you know she'd gotten like kidnapped they were gonna traffic her or something like that and you had this homeless man who nobody just paid attention to and he she was the only person who befriended him she would see him every day and talk to him and um give him sandwiches and you know she was the only friend he had you know and um he like went through all this stuff and fought and died at the end to get this little girl back you know what i mean and and uh, she was but she was a uh, a kid no one cared about, you know? And to me, he he's a hero, you know what I mean? Like, it's... Um, so I, I think uh, sometimes the, the focus or the perception of a hero is uh, what we see in all these superhero films, but I feel like um, in, in really everyday situations, in, in any situation you can find a, a person you would consider a heroic or a hero, um, and those stories need to be told as well. So um, I think that, uh, especially as filmmakers, like I don't uh, want anyone to get discouraged. Like as far as um, if they feel like they can't make a film like Superman or this big sort of superhero film, um, you can still make films about heroes, you know, like uh, in everyday uh, walks of life. Like it doesn't have to be just the status quo uh, example of what a hero is. It can be um, any scenario, any situation. Like um, a dog can be a hero, uh, uh, you know. Um, yeah, I think it, there's, there's so many uh, ways to approach um, that idea in uh, um I always, I, but I always try to go with what we may not have seen before. Like I always try to find something. Um, they always say like there's no original story, you know that sort of thing. Um, but I think the approach can be original, or uh, um, the way that you uh, attack the material can be an original um, way, you know. Um, I don't know if that answered the question, but I just, you know. <laughs> you said earlier about being very visual and how you were going to write out your, um, you know, the different action sequences. So are you good at writing them or are you better with sort of the conception of it, like in your head? And then just because you're kind of speaking your own language to yourself, because you're going to also be behind the camera, yeah. you know what to do? Or, or would you say if someone else got a hold of one of your scripts, they would know exactly how to do that action sequence? Um, they would not know. Um, <laughs> In shorthand, okay. Yeah, they wouldn't know. Um, I, I, early on, like when I, when I used to write uh, scripts early on, I would actually write out, I found this to be the wrong approach very quickly, but I would write out all of the action in the script and the script would end up being 300 pages, you know. Um, and so, so what I started doing is I would just write, if there's an action scene, I would set it up and sort of write action sequence one and then separate all the information in like a separate 
um, you know, separate uh, writing or separate information. So um, I would just put that annotation there and then I would um, expand upon it like separately so that the, the, the actors, when they're reading it, they don't, they're not understanding all that stuff. So um, yeah, I started to split the two apart and um, I used to do it the hard way. Like I would write out every single technique, um, uh, almost like I'm, you know, playing cards or something. I would write the name of the the character side by side, and then if this person does this technique, this person does that. This person does this. This person does that. And I would write out every single technique, and um, after a while. Uh, I stopped doing that, and so uh, um, now I just get together with, like with my team, and um, we'll we'll actually choreograph the action, and we we use what's called our blocking tapes. Like we would shoot the action in sort of a more primitive setting, and then um, on set we just use uh, those tapes that we shot. Um, you know, we've already worked out the uh, composition, we've already worked out uh, all the camera angles, and all the choreography, and um, and then we use that as a template or a guide. Uh, when we're on set, we we sort of go by that. Um, I found that to be like the most effective way, and and also just having time with the actors, sort of uh, with the stuntmen, with the actors, being able to sort of prep them and get them as um, as prepared um, as possible, and. Uh, seeing what their strengths are. If you have actors who may not have any training, but they maybe um, have done a lot of sports or they might be um, flexible or agile or, you know, have good coordination. Or, um, you kind of see what works for them and you sort of base it around um, what, they're, what they're good at, like what their strengths are. Um, but yeah, it's it's evolved over over time. Like um, uh, the way I sort of approach action, and um, when I when I was really young, when I first started out, I didn't do any of that. I just uh, I would choreograph the, the the fight sequences the day of the shoot, um, and do it that way. Um, shoot uh, choreograph and just sort of shoot it in sections. Um, yeah, but now we have like a, a a much better system in place, you know, get better results. Have you ever done it where you sort of reverse engineer it? You you take you watch the film and you like let's say the raid two or something, and then you're documenting all the moves that they're making, or, or no, you've never kind of um, tried to reverse engineer another director's sort of notes. Um, I, 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 as far as action, no. Like, but what I do I do love is like uh, special features, like. Uh, I, I love special features more than the film because I like to see how everything's done. Um, so I, I I will like if I see a a really great shot or something like that, I do I will reverse engineer how that shot was done or how uh, yeah. But uh, as far as action, not specifically, but um, but yeah, I think I think anything technical as far as composition or lighting or. Uh, any unique shot or anything like that. Um, I like to see how those things are done and then sort of be like, okay, how can I get that same result but just way cheaper than um, than what they might have done it for? Um, 
So yeah. yeah. yeah special features is a, is a a gift to any oh, yeah. any movie oh, lover. Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially if they're older ones. I watched one um, with Brian De Palma on Carrie, mm. and it was great just to see. <laughs> it was just fantastic, you know, and yeah. just to hear too that she wasn't the original choice, which I can't imagine anyone else but Sissy Spacek. But yeah, just to see all that and uh, it's just really like a, a it's like a present. Yeah, I always feel like, you know, whoever that role is for, that's the person, in most cases, I mean, you know, that's who it gets it, you know, like, it may not be who you think in the beginning, but um, when I think back to so many movies that uh, had casted certain people, like, um, you know, Will Smith rejecting the role of Neo and then Keanu Reeves getting it. Um, I can't imagine anybody but Keanu in that role. You know. right. Who are your top five action directors and which works of theirs um, are your favorite? I would have to say, and, and, and this probably uh, explains a lot of the way that I approach film as well, like uh, uh, Wilson Yip, who's a, a famous Hong Kong director, um, David Fincher, for sure, um, Christopher Nolan, uh, Zack Snyder, um, and probably um, Yen Wu-Ping, like as far as action goes. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think the for Christopher Nolan, it's like his his scale in how uh, epic his films are. Um, for David Fincher, I think the meticulousness um, and the attention to detail. Um, he puts into his projects. Um, Zack Snyder for like his visual aesthetic. Um, I still think like Watchmen is like one of the most technically beautiful films I've ever seen. Like as far as composition, lighting, you know, it's it's a gorgeous film. Um, Yun Wu Ping is a legend, you know, as far as uh, in the action in the action world, as far as being one of the greatest choreographers to ever live. Um, and um, what was the other director I mentioned? Ah, uh, Wilson Yip. Uh, Wilson is um, also he he sort of changed the face of uh, Hong Kong action films. Wilson Yip is the director who uh, did the uh, Yip Man films with uh, Donnie Yen and um, uh, Dragon Tiger Gate and um, man, what else has Wilson done? Um, yeah, it, uh, and SPL, which is one of my favorite films. Uh, and uh, yeah, he the, the, the way that they sort of approached uh, filmmaking in Hong Kong at that time, his style was so bold and different. Like it really, just was uniquely its own thing, you know. Um, so yeah, that, that those directors I think have probably had the biggest influence on me um, as far as the way I approach uh, filmmaking, like my style and um, um, the meticulousness and you know that sort of thing. Like um, always trying to make every project look uniquely its own, like it nothing looks like. Uh, no one looks like the other. Um, uh, I'm sort of a big fan of that, like having everything sort of have its own um, stamp and its own look and its own feel. 
Um, I don't like to repeat things I've done. I don't like, to, even if it comes to just the look of it. I just, I don't like two projects to look the same, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think those are the, those are definitely my top, top five right there. Yeah. What about remakes? I realize that doesn't mean that they'll necessarily look the same, but does that bother you or you actually enjoy some of the remakes? Oh, wow. It depends because it's, a lot of times it's, um, I, I tend to like the originals more. I think, I think a lot of times, uh, stuff gets lost in the translation. Like they'll, there are certain things that made that film popular and, um, that they're trying to draw from, but it's, it's, uh, it's never really the same. In, in most cases you lose, um, a lot. More so, I think, with the storytelling than the production of it. Like, sometimes you can have something uh, that's produced even a little sharper, but um, the storytelling is where people seem to not uh, focus on too much. It's more of uh, um, just sort of the overall theme of it. But, um, yeah, I feel like uh, magic gets lost a lot with, with remakes, you know. I'm not uh, I'm not opposed to them, but I'm in most cases I don't think they're as good as the original. Yeah. You think it's because we again like we rely too much on the tools that are going to make it look so sort um, of highly produced, but then yeah, I think it's a lot of times it's um, truth be told, in, in a lot of cases it's a cash grab. Like it's um, sort of cashing in on the name of it, that thing, or you know. Um, because it it was popular, and not really focusing more on why it was popular, like what about this mixture of things resonated with people, not just the name of it, but what about it specifically resonated, and I think that's that's the question, and I think you know in a lot of cases if if uh if you can't add anything more to that, then I think it should be left alone, you know? Where do you struggle most with writing screenplays? Interestingly enough, it's just writing. <laughs> I think I've been writing for so long that um, I'm at the point now where I wish there was um, some really good software where I could just talk and it would just write it in script format for me, you know, um, the physical act of getting it out of your head, I think, um, is the hardest part now because it's, um, usually most, uh, most creatives, especially if you, uh, storytellers, you, there's never a time when you don't have stories just constantly coming into your head, like ideas and, you know, um, and even if you, flesh out the idea fully when it's just a physical act of typing you know I think that's the thing when I was really young it was fun <clears throat> um, you know just young and you just typing and everything's great and you can just type for hours and hours every day and you know um, but because I do so many other things um I think that now I just I would just really love to just have that be automated, 
you know. <laughs> um, I got uh, I'm I'm uh, you know I'm getting to the place now where I have uh, a few younger writers that I'm working with where I can sort of outline the story. Um, not for everything, you know. There's certain films that I'm like, okay, this is this is my baby right here, but. Um, certain projects where uh, I'll do an outline and then I'll send it to them and then they can write the script based on my outline and then send it back and then I'll just like punch it up, you know. Um, so that's been that's been pretty cool uh, lately. But um, but yeah, I'm just trying to I'm waiting on that magic thing where I don't have to type anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what about writing in long form? Is that um, appealing to you or no? Um, you know, it, it's cool because like when I like when I started out, I started on the old school typewriter, like uh, uh, with the big keys that come out and, you know, you know, like I start. That's how I started uh, and then moved to like the electric typewriter and then the computer. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I just think. Um, I just I just want to talk. I just want to talk and have something just type for me. Um, I, if I could never physically type another script again, I'd be great. That'd just be awesome. Is that because you don't like the, the screenplay format? You know, you'd rather do it almost in novel form and then... Um, I, I just think it's just the, the physical act of... like Because the, 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 it, uh, it takes so much brain power to write. Um, it's very, like, exhausting. Like, it... it, it uh, it just like it just takes your soul, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, so I think it's just that part of it. Like, I love I love telling stories, and I still have a lot of things I want to say. But I think um, because of uh, the fact that I I still edit, I still shoot, I still direct, I still do sound design on certain projects. I still do, you know, like because I'm doing all that other stuff. Um, you know, when I when I physically have to type a script, like uh, I might get a couple pages and I'm done. Like, <laughs> you know, um, I have to really be like, uh, unless I'm, um, you know, you're so in it and you're trying to just get it out of your head. You know, um, that's different. But um, I try to set goals though, like because because. Uh, I'm older now, so it's, it's harder to write as much as I did before. So I try to set goals like a, a certain amount of pages or uh, that sort of thing. Like um, I try to do it that way, you know, just break it into sections. Um, you know, right now I'm writing, uh, finishing up uh, the Almighty Street team. I'm finishing that, adapting those comic books into the script. And um, I probably got... 30 pages left like I'm almost there um but um but yeah it's been a process of and that's been difficult too like adapting something that already exists like a, a comic book or, or or doing an adaptation is very different than um when you're sort of coming up with something uh completely original um it's sort of writing that line of um how much do you keep how much do you change um, sort of bringing it from a comic book into live action. There's certain things that um, are going to operate differently. Um, so that's been a un unique challenge. This is the first time I've done that. 
um, adapted anything that it was pre-existing. So um, that's been like a a, a unique challenge, like a, an interesting one, but but very different because I, I want to stay uh, true to the spirit and of um, the material. And then there's great moments in the material that you definitely want in there. Um, and then certain places you have to sort of expand it um, to make it work. But um, uh, I think I found a really good uh, space with it, you know. Does it ever frustrate you that it takes so long to make the kind of movies you want to make? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, by nature, I think the industry just moves very slowly. And so um, um, everything is... is uh, is a process and um, there's so much you don't control. There's so much that's sort of out of your hands. And so, um, yeah, it's, um, sometimes it can be frustrating um, to hurry up and wait um, mentality or um, waiting for certain people to get certain things done. Um, and then also like with, um, with yourself, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do in a day. You know, you you um you don't want to get so obsessed with things that you don't that you neglect your life, you neglect your family, and uh, things like that. You want to have balance, uh, which is really tough because um, you know most of us in the industry are so driven. Like you know, we know things move like at a certain pace, and if we move at it, if we're slow and everything else is slow, then nothing's going to happen. So you tend to push harder um, to sort of compensate, compensate for how slow things actually move. So, um, but it, it's important. It took me a while to, to, to find that balance. Like I, uh, I was a person who was uh, 17 hours a day. I'm, you know, uh, only sleep three hours a night, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, so driven um and after so many years of it you realize like um it's not helping that much <laughs> like you're giving so much uh of yourself and your time and you're neglecting your family and you're like um as soon as i get this film done i'll be able to say hi to you <laughs> you know that sort of thing um uh, and then when that's done now you're doing something else and you know, so you got to find uh, a balance and you uh, have to have tremendous patience. Like uh, you can't be a person who is uh, reactionary and, and who gets frazzled very easily. You really have to um, have a lot of focus and you have to be super patient and, um, and just try to. Um, look at the big picture, but also look at just uh, day by day. Like, what can I do today to sort of move things forward and just have like these smaller goals and these smaller um, uh, levels that you can sort of reach and these goals you can hit every day to sort of continue to push uh, towards what you what you want. And eventually you'll get there. Like, um you know, some projects take uh, take years to finish, and um, 
I always say like it's it's what you do when no one's watching that really counts, you know. Yeah. What about the balance um, in terms of how people receive the project? You know, there's that sort of artist cliche saying that the work is never really yours once it's finished. Yeah. I don't know if you subscribe to that, but. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I um, um, there are going to be uh, people who connect with your work, you know, and there are going to be people who may not, and that's fine, you know what I mean? And um, you, um, for me, um, as long as I feel like I've done, like by the time that project goes out, as long as I feel like I did everything I could to make that project the best it could be, um, I, I'm good with it. You know, I can live with it. You have to sort of move on. Um, nothing's ever perfect. There's always going to be those things like, man, if I just could have reshot this or if I had more time or if I had more money or if, um, but um, I think as an artist, like that's just natural. Like we all do that. Like we all um, are perfectionists and, um, but yeah, you have to sort of be okay with, with, uh, just doing the best you can with that art and then just letting it live. And, um, and you know, the people who are gonna respond to it, they, uh, they will, but you know, some, I never, uh, really, um, I never kind of, uh, I never focus on that. I never focus on uh, what, how is it going to go? Like it, you know, it's going to sort of live and be what it is. And if, if, if within myself, I know I did the best I could with it, I poured everything I had into it. Um, and I, I wanted to make it as great as I could. I'm good with it. You know what I mean? Um, and so far it's been cool. Like I've done pretty good. Like I've uh, gotten, um, the energy's been good uh, with, you know, the kind of films that I make. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with where where the fan base is right now, <laughs> you know, with with my material, you know. Um, but everything I do, I do uh, for the people watching. Like, I really want to give them, like, um, the best experience they can with uh, that piece of piece of art and uh, entertain them as much as I can and, and um, I always want to put more value into it um, than the sum of uh, the resources I had at the time you know um, if I have $150,000 and I make a project I want it to look like I spent half a million dollars or a million dollars you know that, that sort of thing so I'm always sort of pushing um, as far as I can with uh, the production value, with um, you know, sound, composition, lighting, actors, like uh, everything. You know, I've heard you say composition. I've heard you talk about composition many times. Do do you just even go like to the grocery store and you're just like, okay, this aisle at Ralph's, I'm framing it here. Absolutely, I would do this over <laughs> here. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was always. Um, a really big thing for me, I I, I uh, would notice the way things are framed and like uh, 
what I deemed as cinematic, you know what I mean? And I always felt like uh, that was one of the weapons, like a person who is an independent uh, filmmaker or a content creator um, versus money. I always felt like that was one of those tools that could help um, make your project better, like the way it's lit the way it sounds and the way that you compose your shots, you know, like um, the term cinematic, like how cinematic can you be? Even if you have no money, um, how can we make this look like a movie? Like uh, uh, how can we make this look big? How can we make this look, uh, uh, bring as much spectacle to it uh, as you can, even if you don't have very much, you know? And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'm, like, huge on, on composition. Like, I'll, I'll be, that's the first thing I notice when I'm watching something, you know, I'll be like, oh, look at the, you know, <laughs> look at the composition and look at the way these actors are framed. Like, why are they framed this way? What are they trying to say? Like, what, um, you know, like, uh, yeah, I just uh, dissect movies a lot. And uh, even when I don't want to. But even in, it sounds like in real and in, in non movie life, you're still dissecting. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I see uh, cinema in everything. Like, I see art in everything. I see cinema in everything. Like, um, I can't turn it off, you know. It's, uh, it's such a big part of me. And, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things like that just is yeah, it just lives in you like you know. And um yeah, I see so many shots right now just you know just uh, just <laughs> um the way light hits a person's face and uh, the way the sunlight comes uh creeps into a room like um you're always thinking of those things. You're always uh noticing those things. Of all the films you've made, can you think back to some of the biggest mistakes with some of the action sequences? I think um, I think the way I used to shoot action, because I, I, I sort of changed my um, approach um, later on. Like when I, when I first started out, because I grew up on uh, Hong Kong action cinema, I would approach uh, shooting an action scene the way they do in Hong Kong, you know, so... They have a, a very particular style and a, a way that they like approach um, shooting action, and then um, so you kind of you kind of see that as like the Eastern way of doing it, right? And then uh, I would look at Western films uh, and how they would shoot uh, action, and it was very different. They in the West, it's more they shoot action more for coverage. And in the east, the the, um, the the shots are designed specifically for the technique that's being used at the time. And so um, later on, I um, you know I was shooting the way they did in the east, and then I was like, well, uh, there's a film I did, uh, Call Me King, right? And I said, well, this is very much a, a western film, and I just don't feel like the Eastern approach fits now, you know, with this particular film. And so 
I I ended up sort of marrying the two, like the way that Eastern films are shot and the way Western films are shot. So I I used um, Eastern choreography or Hong Kong style choreography, but I shot it in a Western way. So that was where uh, I sort of married the two ideologies and, um, and found that it was like really effective. I was like, oh, this is really dope. Like this is... This is better, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I stopped shooting the Eastern way and I started um, just keeping the choreography or the influences of the East in terms of choreography, but um, shooting it in, uh, in a more Western way and it just felt more modern that way. Um, so, yeah, I think that was the biggest lesson, I think, um, over the years, like... Um, have been shot and choreographed probably upwards to 300 fight scenes at this point. Um, I found that that was the most effective way to kind of give it a fresh, uh, a fresh approach. Like the, the, the choreography was fresh, but the, the, the Eastern way of shooting, it was just a little over the top. I guess, like a little uh, too much, you know. Um, so, yeah, shooting more like a shooting action, more like a Western cinematographer, but using the Eastern uh, uh, fight techniques, um, I found like a really nice fusion. Um, and then I've, I've sort of been doing that ever since, you know. And, and speaking of Call Me King, got a distribution deal and, and was on Netflix? Mm hmm. Can you talk about um, how that happened? So, yeah, we um, it actually started out as a web series um, before it got funded. Um, it was a web series called Tui Puen, which was like um, um, Patois, uh, like a Haitian language for a kill point. And so uh, I, did, um, I did like nine episodes of it, um, found like a great audience for it, and... Um, yeah, it, it just garnered a lot of energy. I was like on a lot of blogs and different things like that. Um, and uh, I kind of set it up the way it was like an HBO type of show. Like I set it up like every Tuesday at one, you know, and I had a new episode come out and um, all these blogs would do like reviews on each episode. It was really cool. It was it was actually the first uh, web series I'd ever made. And so um, I... Um, there were some advantages, some things I liked about it, but there were some disadvantages because of because it was short, and I felt like there was more story I wanted to tell, but it was the format was so short I couldn't really say as much as I wanted, and um, um, so myself and um, my partner at the time on that project, uh, Eamon Joseph, uh, we decided to do a feature feature film version of it. And so, um, yeah, we did a, a feature film and um, ended up uh, getting a limited theatrical release uh, through AMC Theaters. And um, uh, it went to Netflix and uh, PlayStation, Xbox, Sky, like uh, all these different platforms. And um, we, um, there was a scene that, uh, something really cool happened with it too. There was a, a scene in the beginning of the film um, that went viral. Like somebody took took the took just took a video of the scene and posted it online, and it was uh, 
this girl asking this guy like to tell the truth in their relationship like yo like stop lying to me just tell the truth and then he just it was this monologue where he just tore to pieces and told the truth right and and somehow it just found uh, its way online and it gone in like 70 million views like uh on this one scene it was hotly like debated and people were like yeah you tell her and the women were furious and it just became like this thing and um what was cool is like everybody kept going well what is what is this from what you know and everybody go oh this is call me king on netflix this was call me king on netflix like this call me you know and so that's how it ended up pushing like um uh call me king to over like 100 million streams like uh on netflix is because like this this uh scene that went viral and people kept asking what it was um so yeah that was really cool that was like uh that film was really uh, cool. It was about these Haitian uh, gun runners, and um, they could speak like five languages. And um, yeah, it was it was really cool. It was really uh, well received. You know, which platform has had the biggest impact on your career? I would say Netflix for sure, definitely. Um, the the audience you can reach like uh and i know it's weird to say because i've i've had uh theatrical releases as well but um because it's such a huge global audience i think uh um yeah i think netflix is amazing the the reach they have um is uh is uh pretty it's pretty extraordinary what they've built and so um and nowadays i i in certain instances, I prefer like uh, Netflix over a theatrical run. Like depending on um, the cities and like the probably the amount of marketing put behind it. But um, yeah, I think I think theaters and Netflix are very close uh, right now. Um, but yeah, I'd say I'd say Netflix for sure. Are there certain cities that are surprisingly? Um the surprisingly well-received your films that you, most people would think, oh, I wouldn't expect that to be a big market. Huh. Um, I actually had a theatrical release in Korea um, with Call Me King, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we were in uh, theaters in Korea. We were in theaters in Africa uh, and in North America. And um, yeah, I had some friends, some Korean friends who called me on the way to the theater, like, hey, we're going to see your movie, you know, and I thought that was really cool, man, um, because I'm I'm a huge fan of Korean cinema. Um, I think they're amazing storytellers, and so, uh, yeah, I think the, the Korean market, um, South Korean market uh, specifically, um, it's been interesting to, uh, to see, like, the, the reaction it's had there. Um, so that was a that was a unique place um south america very much so and then north america but also korea like uh um has been uh i think korean has been the most interesting yeah when call me king was on netflix did you see a lot of people reaching out to you on social media emails yeah absolutely um and, and what was interesting too is a lot of the actors in the film they got a lot of uh energy from uh fans of the movie like um whether it be in in uh in person or or online um yeah a lot of us 
got a a, a lot of uh, I got quite a few jobs from it. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, a lot of people sort of reaching out and um, finding the film. It, it trended for a long time uh, on uh, on Netflix. It was really cool. But I think a lot of that had to do with the um, the viral uh, scene from it. But um, but yeah, I think there was a there was a big sort of influx of uh, people uh, reaching out uh, who saw the film, um, industry people as well. Um, yeah, I think I think up to that point that had been like my biggest uh, film uh, up to that point uh, as far as. Um, reach and I think what it did, uh, the reaction it got um, um, from the industry, for sure. Yeah. So were there other films that you did that where you expected it to go the way Call Me King did? Because, you know, so, so people say, like, you can't orchestrate anything viral. And, and there's so many times when you think something's going to be huge and it's not, yeah. and then vice versa, because of the relationship aspect of that one scene and people debating it and then they go, I, yeah. need, I need to see this. I want to know who the filmmaker is. And yeah. Um, well, I mean, Comic King was the last film I did before Lazarus. So um, Lazarus isn't out yet, but that, like the anticipation of it is really high. Like, uh, you know, um, I've already gotten like a lot of jobs just on the trailer. Um, a lot of meetings, um, things are looking really good as far as, uh, like we have a lot of options uh, as far as distribution. And so, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's already sort of uh, started to be like a groundswell, you know. We haven't put out the trailer yet, um, but we will pretty soon. Uh, the movie's gonna come out this summer. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting some some good results uh, <laughs> from it, um, most definitely, yeah. When people wrote to you about Call Me King, what were they writing to you about? Like, what were they, did they have questions? Um, did they just want to praise you? Um, there were quite a few accolades, but also um, people were um, just happy to see, um, it sort of exists in the, the action crime genre, um, like, um, uh, similar to like Goodfellas or The Godfather, sort of in that space. Um, but it was the first time people had seen like uh, this uh, type of approach, like I was saying earlier, with uh, them being Haitian, uh, with them being gun runners. But they, but they were very refined. You know, they they uh, spoke different languages. They they wore suits and they. Um, spoke very eloquently they uh there was a really cool scene in the film where um one of our lead characters are he's talking to his brother but he's sort of telling him how uh, bourbon is made you know how uh, um it actually it's clear when it starts and then it, uh, the reason it turns brown is because it's uh curated is cured in uh, wooden barrels and so the wood is what gives the bourbon its color like it changes color uh from clear to uh to, to this this brown color because of the way it's 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 made and so he was using it as as an analogy um and how like uh if you leave it too long it'll 
um, lose uh, integrity. And so he was he's he's sort of breaking down this this I, these ideals to him, but he's using bourbon as a way to do it. So um, people were like really. Uh, they were like, wow, like that's different, you know, like we haven't seen that yet. Like, you know, um, the, uh, and they're, you know, they're not drug dealers, they're gun runners. So I just wanted to sort of uh, create something in the crime genre, but do it in a, in a way um, that may represent like uh, characters we haven't seen in this genre before, like, uh, and um, do it in a, a more uh, a more unique approach than I guess we may have seen from a lot of films that um, when you see people of color in those films in that genre you 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 expect it to be a lot more uh, hood I guess or street um, and not as refined and so I wanted to sort of challenge that uh, idea um, and so I think I think some people um, found it to be like really interesting. I'm wondering if you can tell us the story of how you're finishing up or you're already finished with Call Me King and then you start writing Lazarus or how do you how are you pitching this to investors? Yeah, I, I guess I, I had the idea for Lazarus. Uh, um, as I was finishing Call Me King, um, actually, and um, I had already started started talking to uh, actor Sean Riggs and um, he's someone I've known for a long time, so I knew you know, um, I knew we had planned on sort of producing something together, but uh, I wasn't sure what it was up until around that time when Call Me King was sort of coming out. And um, um, it was actually a, a pretty easy process to get funded um, just based on what we'd already done. And, um, you know, the definitely the success of Call Me King, it, it made it pretty easy uh, it's probably the easiest i've gotten a, a project funded <laughs> because uh um you know we still had a lot of energy from it and actually the investor of lazarus had seen call me king you know so um yeah it was it happened pretty quickly actually like um i had the the story the concept in mind but i i hadn't written it yet um and um, you know, once uh, once Comic King was done, it sort of made it made its his, its uh, rounds. Um, I kind of yeah quickly moved into Lazarus, and yeah, we were up and running uh, pretty quickly actually. Um, yeah, and and all that stuff was sort of coming together, like the idea of creating a universe. Um, um, I knew the I knew the first hero in that universe. I wanted to come from me, and then I wanted to um, start to bring in um, other uh, concepts from other independent, like comic book creators and stuff like that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, it came together pretty pretty fast, actually. Yeah, you're writing the script. Yeah, yeah. How? Um, so, so yeah, I uh, I had the idea. I. Um, sort of took that same approach, did an outline, um, and just started writing. And um, it took me um, probably a few months, actually, um, to finish that script. But as as I was finishing it, you know, we were already um, getting funding and sort of um, getting ready. Uh, yeah, we it got funded kind of just off the idea of it, 
you know mm. um the idea of it and, and then the success of call me king was like okay you know <laughs> did you approach the investors or did they approach you yeah we we approached them um you know it, it was interesting because um some of the discussions that came from uh call me king was like hey if you guys are doing you know something else like you know whatever you're doing next like we you know we love to talk about it or um let me know you know what's going on after that so um yeah as soon as we had sort of decided to to move forward with Lazarus like um um once I had the idea sort of fleshed out like we went to certain people and we're like hey this is what we're doing next you know what I mean and so um yeah they they got on board you know pretty quickly What's the idea for the film? What, what were you pitching them that was just the idea? Like, how did you go in and present it? I had a, a bit of, like, concept art, and I had um, this uh, sort of the... I had, I had done sort of, like, a detailed uh, synopsis of, of the film. Um, so I was able to sort of break down the story and um, how everything sort of played out. Um I had a I had a ballpark of what it would take to make the film, um, and um, the fact that it was in the superhero genre, you know, that was like super appealing to people, um, especially with um, uh, how um, popular the genre had become by then. Um, so um, I think that was one of the biggest things that intrigued them was like sort of. Uh, my idea and my approach to it, but the fact that it was uh, a superhero and a, a hero of color as well. Um, and, and it sort of lived in that space. Of, I call it a superhero thriller because it's it does have like some horror uh, undertone, uh, you know. And and so, um, yeah, I think that, that those were the things that really sold the idea of it. Um, was the genre if i if i was um making maybe another gangster film or something maybe it would have took a little more nudging maybe maybe not i don't know but um but the fact that it was in the superhero genre like people got really excited about that and what what's the film about oh oh i'm trying not to give too much away <laughs> but okay. um essentially it's a a uh, a city it's it's like a um, it's called Paradise City it's a city that's sort of like in the heart of like a Chicago or like a LA um, and uh, this whole city is sort of uh, overrun by uh, crime and it, it's a bad place you know and, and there's a synthetic uh drug that you you burn it and you sort of uh the crystals produce this red smoke and you inhale it and it uh it's like mind altering and so uh you know the whole infrastructure of the city is sort of based upon um that and the people who who operate it and they use a lot of the people in the city as runners so, you know they recruit a lot of people to to work for them um and so our, our main character um ray lazarus like he uh 
was like a military uh, vet. He he was a sort of a bad person before he went to the military, and then he saw a lot of things and grew up um, and became a better person. So uh, when he came back, he uh, was a totally different uh, human being and um, got a lot of his friends to, to to go legit and change their lives and you know just like a very productive uh, citizen and. Um, they tried to recruit him. He said no, and something very bad happens to him, and <laughs> um, that sort of sends him on this journey uh, to um, undo like a lot of what's going on in the city. Um, but um, in that moment where he's um, where this bad thing happens to him, he's approached by an entity and this entity sends him on this course, uh, but it has its own agenda, you know what I mean? Um, um, that's kind of all I could say, really. Um, I probably said too much, but... Um, <laughs> interesting. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, but he's, he's like this super-powered being that is trying to free like this city. Um, from the people that um, have uh, have sort of enslaved this city through this this synthetic uh, drug. Are you able to talk about one of the biggest financial risks you've taken with one of your projects? I think it's a. I know a lot of people talk about maxing out like credit cards and stuff like that. That's actually not a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not a good idea. Um, if you can help it. I mean, you want to invest in yourself, but um, you want to also be super careful about the kind of debt uh, you put yourself in. Um, and and if that particular project at the time is worth that amount of debt, you know, maybe there's something else you can do in the meantime, something different. Um, uh, you know, if you have a family, especially, um, you know, and... Um, yeah, I have a wife. Uh, her name's uh, Isabel Scott. Oh, okay. She's has her own YouTube channel, uh, director's wife, and uh, she talks about like stuff in the industry and interviews people and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, having a a, a family, um, you got to be super careful, like about you know um, the approach you take to making films and like the kind of investments you you know. Um, you make so I would say um, yeah there was a project um, I produced on my own like it worked out but yeah I kind of maxed out like uh, like I can't you know I can't get credit cards anymore because we, <laughs> like you know I maxed out these cards and, um, I'm still like paying that stuff off um yeah, but yeah, I, I would just say that. Like, if if there's another way, you know, um, maybe not do that. You know, maybe not max out the credit cards. You know, uh, or someone else's credit card. Don't max that. Don't do that. You know. How much martial arts training do your actors have to have? Well, um, ultimately, they don't have to have any. Um, it helps. But um, if they don't have any, um, you know, any other types of skills, physical skills, um, also help. Like if, uh, 
they have good coordination if they're a dancer, if they're ballet, um, basketball, you know, any any type of anything physical uh, helps, you know. Um, but uh, ultimately, it's it's just sort of finding like uh, where their strengths are physically, and sort of hiding any any other weaknesses. Like um, if you have a person who's really coordinated with their hands, but they have like two left feet, you wouldn't give them any kicking to do or anything like that. You know, you just sort of figure out, um, um, you know, what 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 they can be good at and sort of highlight that thing um <clears throat> excuse me but um but yeah no you don't necessarily need any uh training I, but i would say to to all actors um you should if 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 uh at some point in your career you you're gonna be asked to like slap someone or throw a punch you know like um so i think it's good to take classes to uh try and and learn some at least uh, basic combat skills, because at some point you may have an opportunity and you may lose that opportunity if you're not equipped to uh, to, to to handle it. So um, I think every actor should uh, take some sort of classes and sort of get some sort of training um, so that they're more comfortable uh, being physical on, on screen. Um, yeah. How do you teach them to fight? Um, there's sort of different approaches you can take. Like um, some of it is like real, actual martial arts technique, practical technique. Some of it is more so for staged uh, combat or choreography. Um, before you can really teach choreography, you have to teach them the basics of uh, movement, you know. Um, um, and then there's another element of the acting that's sort of put on top of it. So you have the physicality and then you have the acting that you have to do as well. Um, so, yeah, usually the way I approach uh, training an actor is I start with real martial arts techniques. Like I start with the basics. Um, basic striking, basic blocking, uh, basic kicking, stretching, um, sort of getting them used to very small movement, you know, um, because um, on screen in a, in a fight, you want to look explosive, you want to look uh, confident, you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing, you want to look like you've been doing it for a long time and you're confident in the way you move, so... Um, before you get to the choreography, um, it, it really starts with basic foundation of uh, martial arts uh, technique, you know, and then you just sort of build um, from there. What do you find to be the toughest part of making a film and what makes it so tough? Honestly, I, I think uh, post-production, <laughs> um, you know, uh, even more so than being on set, I think post is uh, the hardest because um, that's where you really make the film. Like uh, when you're on set, you're, you're sort of, and you're filming, you're getting the ingredients to make a film, but you don't really make the film until you're in post. 
and um, there's so many steps to sort of completing a film and getting it ready um, to go out. And um, I think the easiest part of post is the editing for me. I think when um, when you get into like uh, sound design and sort of mixing and mastering and getting the dialogue cleaned, and I think that's the most laborious part of it. Um, for me, for sure, is uh, sound design because there's there's so many little things like uh, that absolutely must be there. If uh, if somebody takes one step, if somebody puts down a fork, if you know um, every little thing that you sort of you know, in a movie like in life, you don't pay attention to, but in a film, if somebody sits a fork down and you don't hear anything, you, it, you know, it, it, there's a an alarm that goes off, and so, um, yeah, I think I think those parts of post are the most difficult part of the process. Um, just really fine tuning and ultimately deciding what the film's going to be. Um, a lot of times in the in the editing room, you you um, can tell the story a completely different way. You know, you um, usually what you had on paper, um, and what you end up with is very different, or they're similar but different. And so um, you have to then sort of let that go, let the script go, and focus more on. Uh, what you have in front of you, like um, how do I ex tell the best story with what I have in front of me, you know, what I've shot. And um, yeah, I think post is where it it all sort of, you really get down to business as far as what the film's going to be uh, at the end of the day, you know, so that's like the, the most difficult part for me. So many people that come to L.A., so many people they leave to L.A., both on a daily basis for whatever reason. You came to LA in 2009, which was a very tough time for a lot of people, most people in this country, probably in the, the globe. Um, <laughs> what would you advise to people when they come here? Like know someone, have a plan, don't have a plan, keep your mind open. I would definitely say have a plan. Uh, I, I think if, you, if you're gonna come here, I think you should know someone. I think it's much easier um, to sort of navigate um, and get used to um, the city and how things work if you if you know a few people or if you know one person who can help get you acclimated to it. Um, you should definitely have a plan. Um, and you should also sort of, as much as you can, talk to people and, and get a good understanding of how things work. Um, Usually a lot of times is artists, you know, you come to L.A. and you have this idea of like, oh, it's going to be this and I'm going to do that. And and um, that may not be the case at all. It could be completely different than what you think. Um, so you want to talk to people who've been here a while, even even if uh, you're thinking about moving and you haven't yet. Start reaching out to people in the industry that are here. Like, hey, you know, how is it out there? Like, how does this work? How does, you know, uh, that work? Uh, what are some of the resources? Uh, um, if they're actors, like, what acting classes are you going to? Like, uh, 
find out about central casting, find out about like uh, uh, Breakdown Express, LA Casting, like different uh, sites and uh, like find out like where you can sort of begin to get in, get your hands in things and uh, uh, get involved and, and uh, but, but, but be realistic about it. Be very, um, take a very wide-eyed, realistic approach to um, how you can begin to sort of build uh, yourself up out here. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's the main advice, I would say. Uh, knowledge, information, real information. Um, you know, there's a, I used to uh, say that I had goals and not dreams because I felt like dreams was something, a dream is something you have when you're asleep, but it never manifests itself in uh, physical reality. But a goal is tangible. It's a goal is real and it's obtainable. It's, uh, it's, it's a realistic thing you can, uh, attain and, and continue to build on, you know, so have like very realistic goals and uh, small goals, like don't, don't start out sort of with your head in the clouds, like really um, start at the bottom, like really be like, okay, I know I want to get there, but I know there are things I can do, there are victories I can have that I can continue to build upon, you know. Also, one of the most uh, important things you can do is, is really study your craft, like hone your skills so that when you do have those opportunities, you're ready for them. Um, and, uh, and also being able to show value in what you have to offer, like that's really important. Um, so that it's not, it's not so much of like, oh, I just, I want to be a star and I want to be rich, but like, um, what do you have to offer a, a producer? What do you have to offer a casting agent or a film? You know, that sort of thing. Like, so really um, study and really focus on your ability to deliver. And, you know, if you do that, you'll get more and more opportunities to showcase that, you know, because people will see um, the value in your work and they'll they'll see the value in what you have to offer, you know. So um, sometimes it really starts there instead of sort of looking outward to agents and other people to sort of make you into this big thing, like really start uh, inward and, and uh, with your own craft and what you invest in yourself and your ability um, to deliver. And um, yeah. What about um, trusting people? Um, that's a tough one, honestly. That's a tough one. Um, because a, a lot of people will say a lot of things. And um, I, I try not to personally, like I personally try not to have a pessimistic uh, approach to things. But I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm optimistic, but I'm, I'm cautious in the sense that um, until something happens, it doesn't exist. You know, <laughs> that's sort of how I look at it. Like, uh, there'll be times I'll, I'll get um, a job offer and they'll be like, hey, you know, we want to fly you to Canada and direct this film and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. But once I've done that, I sort of 
I sort of put it in another section of my brain, you know. Um, and when you hear these things, it's cool, but um, you don't want to start like making all these plans and sort of having all these ideas based off of just a conversation, you know. You want to um, wait and, and sort of be like, okay, um, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm going to wait and see things play out. And um, uh, it's better to sort of approach things from that perspective. If you you don't want to you don't want to be constantly pulled in a million directions and then things don't work out. Because the truth is, like, um, uh, it's hard to to get these projects made. Like, um, a lot of stuff uh, falls through the cracks. A lot of stuff doesn't work out and so um you know you want to invest your time and your energy um where you feel like it's um it's going to pay off and it's going to be worth worth your while so um i would just say be cautiously uh, optimistic but um don't believe anything until it's solidified it's in it's in front of you it's happening um uh, yeah yeah it's just like protect your uh your heart protect your uh, mind you know because you have too much disappointment and and you can start to become very pessimistic and um you know you start to feel jaded and cynical and you know um you begin to begin to hate the, the the thing that you love, and you don't want uh, you don't want to allow anyone to take that from you. You know, take your love of um, this industry or what we do, like to take that from you. You know, so you have to protect that. Yeah. What about keeping yourself in line, not getting sidetracked for why you came out here? Yeah, I think. Um, I think time is the thing that sort of uh, determines who's really serious about this and who's not, like, uh, or who's the term is like built for it, like who's built for this, who's not built for it. I think uh, over time, if you still have, you know, let's say you've been doing this three, four, five years, maybe. Um, some things have worked, some things have not. Um, a lot of projects have come your way and they may have been real, they may have not, or whatever the case is. And um, I think it's, it's ultimately, um, if you still have the same love for it, you know, like if it's in your bones and you can't shake it, um, then um, time will tell. Like time, time is really going to be the thing that um, shows you uh, who you are and when it comes to this this industry and if it really is for you, you know, or if it's just something that uh, maybe you're in a new place, maybe you change or evolve and you feel differently about it. But I think as long as you love it, you should do it. Um, and if you get to the point where you hate it, then you shouldn't, you know. 15, <laughs> 15 years old and it has not changed. Like, uh, to this day, I knew then, um, and I still know now, and it's never, it's never changed. It's, it's been constant. Uh, I love it just as much, if not more, today. Um, 
because I, I, I see more possibility than I saw when I was a kid, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I would say, um, I would say I love it more now because uh, even in even in things I've done, I, I still see so much more to do and so many more stories to tell. And um, But I just feel stronger now. Like I feel like I know more. I've been through more. Uh, I have more information, more knowledge. And, um, you know, yeah. What are your five tips for getting a movie made? First off, be realistic. Um, don't ask for $2 million if you've never made a film. Uh, chances are you're not going to get that funded. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would say, firstly, be realistic about uh, where you are, about what you're doing. Um, create a situation where... Um, an investor can't say no, meaning have have a track record of work. I, I truthfully, I truly feel like uh, if you've never made a, a project, you should not be asking for funding. I feel like you should do it yourself in the beginning. I think you need to produce some things yourself because you need to, um, to show a person why they should invest in you. Uh, I think um, it's hard to get people to just give you money. It's, it's like saying to someone... Um, Hey, I want to do heart surgery on you. I've never done it before, but I swear <laughs> to God, I'm gonna. It's gonna be the most amazing surgery you've ever had. It's like it's hard to convince someone um, to take that kind of uh, a risk when you you haven't shown that you're capable of of uh, following through. And uh, I see that a lot with a lot of young filmmakers. They're asking for money right out the gate. Like, yo, $2 million, my first movie. And I'm just like, bro, you're not going to get that. <laughs> no one's going to give you that. Like, um, so I would say bring bring val bring a lot more value than you're asking for. Meaning, um, if, if, uh, if you have two filmmakers, if one has, say, never done a project before but he has a script and a good story and an idea and he's asking for a million dollars and then you have another director who has done four feature films and he's asking for a hundred thousand dollars the 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 chances or the likelihood of the guy who's only asking for very little versus what he's already shown and uh that he can accomplish there's a there's a larger chance you're gonna get what you're asking for, and so um, you know in the beginning you want to set like a a more modest, more realistic budget, like something that um, you feel an investor could part with, um, but give them incentives, give them a reason to believe that you can actually do this thing that you're saying you can do, um, and a lot of that comes from making the sacrifices early on and um, investing in yourself and making some things like it doesn't even have to be uh, features. It could be shorts, but just making things that you can show to someone and say, hey, like I can do this like this is this is what I have to offer. Um, and if it's if it's technically not good enough, do it again, do it again. Like don't don't always be in such a rush to ask 
for funding until you feel like you're in a position where you really have something to offer that is worth a person parting with um, money, even if it's five grand, 10 grand, whatever you're asking for. Um, it may not seem like a lot, but it's a lot to them. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a risk. It's an investment. So, um, be realistic. Don't ask for the moon, you know, start off very small, um, produce a few things, uh, before you get to that point of asking so that you have examples of your work, um, and also have a plan like, okay, you're going to make this film. What are you going to do with it when it's done? What are, what are your plans? Like, how do you plan to distribute it? How do you plan to uh, repay that investment? How, uh, uh, you know, are you, um, and there's so many um, uh, avenues now uh, with uh, aggregation sites, with uh, um, uh, sites like iTunes. Uh, I think even YouTube does this thing now where you can put your film for sale on YouTube now. Uh, and, and, and have a certain amount, but, um, but having a, have a plan, like have a, not just to make the thing, but how are you going to get this thing to the rest of the world? Um, have a solid plan. So I think those would be my, my tips. Yeah. You've talked about being realistic and, and I like that, especially here. I think that's, that's something a lot of people don't always do. Mm -hmm. Has anyone ever said, you know, you got to really hype, hype this up more. Because I see you being very level about everything, and then you look at your work, and it's amazing, and you're not yeah. here sort of bragging. And I see a lot of that in this town. Has anyone ever said, "I need you to really hype, hype yourself up," and 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 you just kind of want to keep it more? Yeah, I've um, I've 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 heard that a lot, and um, the truth is, like, um, I win every time because I don't. You know, like if uh, it's harder to pay back a million dollars than it is to pay back three hundred fifty thousand dollars or uh, whatever the case is. And a lot of times um, to be truthful, when it comes to distribution, um, a lot of times, depending on the, the deal, you're not getting these massive sums of money back. I mean, you have to have a certain um, situations where like if. Uh, if, of course, if I, if I cast Denzel Washington, okay, great. Like, I'm going to make this amount of money back. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you can't afford Denzel, you can afford someone who's well-known, but maybe not as big as that, may not have as much market uh, uh, value or whatever the case is at the time. Like, um, a lot of distributors are not going to pay that um, over a certain amount. And so if you... Um, if you create things that are modest in budget, the, the, the chances of you making back your money plus uh, a large profit is, is very good. It's very high. Um, you know, so I think um, it's sort of like the Blumhouse uh, mentality, right? Like uh, they make their films for a certain amount. They have more than enough money to start playing the $100 million game. Like, but when they look at sort of like like wow we're winning you know <laughs> like we're we're making these films for between five and you know ten thousand dollars and i mean million i'm sorry five and ten million dollars 
and we put some money into marketing and we're making these massive uh, sums. So why would we now want to start pulling out our hair and like playing this $100 million game where now we have to make $200 million back just to break even? And, you know, that's like a different game up there. So um, in some cases, it's it's uh, smarter to just like... Um, not overshoot all the time it's not um and i'm not saying in every case uh every you know every project is different um but um i think that if you can set yourself up to win from the beginning you know what i mean um then i think it's smart to to do so like um if uh an investor gives me a million dollars i don't i I wouldn't make one film for a million dollars i would make three films uh for that million dollars you know what i mean so i just think that uh it really depends on the mentality of the person and how they perceive the industry like it this is how it really is and this is how the outside world sort of sees it and um yeah i've always been a realist like i just think uh i just never found uh you know, I'm not the person who, because I, I like to put the money on the screen. Like, I, I don't think that having, um, there was uh, something I, I was, uh, I heard a long time ago. I think it was from Spielberg. And he was talking about uh, what's in the, what's in the frame, you know, and about like, this is all that matters. Like, what's in the frame? It doesn't matter if like two inches outside of the frame, there's tape running up the walls and and you know just all this weird stuff going on around it uh what what matters is what's in the frame and like uh that's the approach i take to filmmaking i don't like to waste money i don't like to waste investors money so i don't like to have just a bunch of stuff that you don't need um 10 trucks like full of lobster like you know and, and and then in the frame, none of that value is there. Like I like to keep the value in the frame, um, and and not sort of be wasteful, um, and uh, yeah, not not spending on a a bunch of like uh, honey wagons and being overly exuberant like uh, outside of it, uh, that frame. Because at the end of the day, when audience sees it this is all they have to go by they don't know what happened uh on the set they only know what they see and so um i don't like to throw money at things that aren't going to be beneficial to what's in the frame you know um but some people enjoy that they like the the idea of uh extravagance on set you know um that doesn't mean the movie's going to be any good but um so i just take like the opposite approach I think she said something earlier that really caught my attention was a lot of people take this time to boast and you didn't do that. You were very humble in your approach and she gave you a lot of thorough questions. So you've had some interviews, but I think to me, this is, I'm taken aback by the interview. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like, how does it feel? That's interesting because I remember remember we had that conversation and we uh, um, there was something we were talking about and 
um I don't I'm I'm always like moving forward like I as an artist I'm always sort of pushing forward like I'm constantly pushing forward and sometimes like uh, I was talking to China he was like don't forget all the stuff you've already accomplished like you had movies in Sam Goody back in the day <laughs> like you know like yeah like don't forget about that stuff like because I'm I'm always so focused on like never stopping like I'm um I had to sort of learn to appreciate them the things that I was had done um because you know how artists like we're never satisfied we're always like no yeah but the next one will be better like but I can I just got so much more I want to do um and so um I'm just an artist. I just I'm just an artist that just wants to tell stories. Like I don't um and have people like appreciate the work, but I I never found I never understood I guess I kinda understand, but I I, I never saw the point of like, yeah, you know uh, you know, like I don't um throwing things around like that like stuff you've done and uh, you know to me that's not a yeah I I don't think a real artist does that I think you you allow people to do that for you but you don't do it like you don't you know boast and brag because you no matter how great you are you didn't do it alone it took a whole army of people to do it so i to me that would feel fake like uh if i'm like yeah my movie did this and you know we did a nationwide release and I, we made this and you know it was over here but i'm like no that was a collective like i couldn't have done that without those people so i i just don't um if anything, I'm just appreciative of like having those experiences of working with um, so many people and having like, it's beautiful when it's like a family affair. Like you feel like it's a family and you're you're like, uh, everybody's bringing their best to the table. And um, yeah, I, I just appreciate those moments, but I don't feel the need to talk like that but I don't know um yeah I just want to just continue to make art and if people uh react to it in a good way then great you know um yeah but yeah no this has been the I've done a lot of interviews this has been the best interview I've ever had like uh yeah like I've you know, it, it took me back to so many things that I f forgot about, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. But that's why I love film coverage. Like, that's that's why I love uh, what you guys do, because um, it's not about uh, the surface stuff. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's uh, every time I watch film cards, it, I don't care who it is uh, or how much you know, you will always 
gain of gain knowledge or insight you know what i mean because it's and then you also find like kindred uh spirits or energy because you realize that you're not alone like you're the stuff you did that you thought you were crazy for doing someone else has done it <laughs> someone else has done a little crazier um you thought making a feature in three weeks was nuts somebody made one in one day or somebody <laughs> you know what i mean so it's like okay maybe i'm not so crazy maybe you know like uh there's a solidarity and and a, um there's like a brotherhood there that you didn't know was there you know and um people who had similar feelings and people who um have made similar sacrifices and and uh you know it's a it's a it's a community thing it's not people sort of lording over you and looking down at you and like you know, oh you can't even talk to these people and um they're just up here and they're you know drinking their like you know spring water or whatever like uh you know it's it's very much like uh i feel like uh it's like a family communal tribal thing you know with film cars like it's like a tribe of artists you know and uh that's really cool man <laughs>